Today's guest comes from the Kyle Center for Water Policy at the Morrison Institute. Her name is Katherine Sorensen, and she has served for many years as the Director of Phoenix Water Services, as well as the Director of the City of Mesa Water Resources Department. In these roles, she was responsible for the delivery of safe, clean, reliable water for millions of Arizonans and significantly advanced the sustainable management of water resources in Arizona and the Colorado River Basin. Kathy, Catherine earned a PhD in Agricultural and Resource Economics from Texas A&M University and a Bachelor of Arts in Economics from the University of Michigan. In her position at ASU, she oversees the research efforts of the Kyle Center for Water Policy, serves as a professor of practice at the Watts College of Public Service and Community Solutions, and contributes to the Global Futures Laboratory. Hi, I'm Rebecca Hidalgo Rains, and you're listening to Grateful Heart. I started this show to help educate my clients on the real estate market, and it's evolved into so much more. I've found that I love talking to people, and I love learning new things. While our expertise is still on the health of the housing market, we want to focus on the health and the well-being of our listeners as well. More specifically, where we reside in our hearts, in our minds, and in our homes. The biggest purchase in our life just isn't a house. It's where we raise our children, start a new business, pray for our loved ones, and follow our dreams. It's even where we listen to our favorite podcast. When we are successful at home, everything else just falls into place, and we are so grateful for that. Home is where the grateful heart is. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Rebecca Hidalgo Reigns with Grateful Heart TV, and today I have none other than Katherine Sorensen, who is the water authority in Arizona. Like, I am so... Happy Not that true. she made it today here <laughs> to join us. Thank you so much, Catherine, for joining me. I got to watch you talk on this presentation about mm-hmm. water a few months ago, and there was like hundreds of people on this, so on the Zoom call that you did. And after watching Catherine speak, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to bring her on. So thank you for joining. Thank you. That's very kind. I'm really grateful to be here. Thank you. And so you're at the Kyle Center for Water Policy at Morrison Institute. That's a mouthful, Catherine. It is. It is. And that's basically you're at <laughs> ESU, right? I'm at Arizona State University. That's right. Thank you. Okay, so I, I'm going to have this as a reference for us to go back Great. to if there's any slides that maybe you think we need to look at but what I did is I went on to your LinkedIn and checked you out a little bit before the show started. Oh heavens. Oh it's okay it's okay nothing bad um but what I found on here so you had some articles and this is really why I wanted you to come on the show. Yeah. The market's crazy Mm -hmm. not in the best way right now. Last summer the real estate market was bonkers for the buyers were like multiple offers prices Mm -hmm. were being driven up and we've kind of hit a ceiling Mm-hmm. And right now it's the opposite. And then we have um, recession issues, interest rates skyrocketing. Yeah. And it just seems like more and more it's all negative crap in yeah. the news. And then let's throw water in. Right. Let's throw in the worst uh, drought over the last 23 years that we have seen in the last 1,200 years. Right. So like not <sighs> just a drought, a mega drought. Like right? where we're, of, we're of, emptying all of our lakes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's been really tough. And and I can see how, you know, this adds to some of the uncertainty and stress. In the world. In the world and regarding, you know, the housing market here in Arizona as well. Well, yeah, because if I have clients right now talking about going to certain areas, they're like, well, what about the water? Yeah. So I wanted to have you help us understand the myths versus the truth. Okay. Because I want to know, do we really have to be that concerned? Don't Mm -hmm. answer me yet because I know it's a complicated answer. Okay. 
<laughs> but when I watch the news, the, I mean, like even last night I shared with you, my husband sent me an article, like the state of Missouri is looking at water issues. It's like yeah. everywhere you see in the news, it's about water. Um, and then I noticed this link from your from your LinkedIn. It said, as the Colorado River's flow declines, water supplies in seven states are imperiled by potential shortages. That includes Arizona, which passed legislation outlining steps it would take if water from the river continues to decrease. But what does a water shortage mean for Phoenix? Right. So help me understand just that we could probably spend the whole show about, okay. but we're not going to. So okay. talk quick, Catherine. I will talk fast. So uh, so you point something out that's really important. It really depends on where you are. Okay. So, so the impact of drought depends very much on what community you live in. Different communities across Arizona have different access to different water supplies. So in rural Arizona, there's a lot of access to groundwater. Uh -huh. um, in uh, the Phoenix area, the Valley of the Sun, we also have Salt and Verde River water. Other areas of the state also have access to surface water supplies. Um, and then of course there's the Colorado River, yeah. which we take from Western Arizona and import into Central Arizona. So the impact of drought really depends very much on which of these supplies your particular community is relying on at a given point in time. Wow, so yes. is there like a place we can go to see where we live, what the water looks like? So actually, um, thank you for asking that. You can go to the Kyle Center's website. Uh -huh. So the Kyle Center for Water Policy has a website. And on that website, Aww. we have the Arizona Water Blueprint. Thank you for pulling that up. Uh, and that shows, a, that gives you a whole wealth of information about, um, you know, where your water comes from, wells in the area, groundwater declines, just a, a ton of really great stuff that can help people out. Ta-da! Love it. It was like on cue. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was on cue. So what I noticed as you were talking, a couple of your slides came to mind. Yeah. Greater Phoenix Water Sources. So you said that super fast because I told you to. Thank you. Yes. What is effluent water? What does that mean? Uh, effluent. So effluent. Um, here in Arizona, we, we pioneered the reclamation and reuse of wastewater. Mm -hmm. And we did that because it is a desert. And so all water supplies are precious here, of course. So we have been reclaiming and then reusing wastewater for more than, oh gosh, it must be like 50 years now That's at this awesome. point. It is awesome yeah. uh, because all water is precious here and it is a very valuable resource. So um, much of it is actually used uh, for the cooling towers in the Palo Verde nuclear power plant. Ah. So it's reclaimed, sent to the Palo Verde plant, is used for their cooling towers. And what's cool about that is that uh, the Palo Verde nuclear power plant is the only nuclear power plant in the country, if not the world, that is not located on a major body of water. Oh. Right? And it is out here in the middle of the desert, desert. Yeah. and provides the benefit that it does to our community because of the availability of that reclaimed water. That's just one example. Reclaimed water is also used on golf courses, yeah. parks, and schools, you know, um, in, in other ways as well. So I was curious because I have a place up in northern Arizona, and a lot of people like to save their, they call it gray water. Yeah. So is that the same as this? No. So gray water is really when um, a person just saves the water that they've already used for one purpose or another. Mm -hmm. And it, so that's like why it's called washing gray. dishes. Like, right. Kind of Maybe thing. you have a bucket in your showers, you know, something like that. And then you're reusing it. Wastewater really um, and, and effluent has to do with a centralized sewer collection okay. system, right? And then it's all treated at one big plant, plant and, and then reused. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay, so that's the difference there. So it's yeah. more like the micro versus the macro? Exactly. Okay. 
Yes. Okay, so because I know that that's what some people do up north to try to save water is, yeah. you know, use the, ground, uh, the gray water. So these are all the states that are tied to the Colorado River. Mm-hmm. California, Colorado, Arizona, Utah, Mexico, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Nevada. Yeah. How much of the Colorado River do we really need to worry about? So we should be worried about the Colorado River. So Uh-oh. yeah, yeah. So that no. one's legit. Th- this is legit. This okay. is a very legitimate concern. But there's, but there is also some good news. So, so let me do the the bad news first, and then we'll talk about the good okay. news. Okay, so rip off the bandaid. <laughs> rip off the bandaid. So yeah, the the Colorado River system really is in decline. Uh, the Colorado River is over allocated, meaning that mm. collectively. That's so scary. It is scary. All the seven states that use it and uh-huh. the Republic of Mexico, we use way more than Mother Nature really provides this river system. As a result, um, and in and in combination with the you know worst twenty three years of drought that we've seen in twelve hundred years, years, yeah, right. Um, we are seeing uh, significant water level declines in Lakes Powell and Mead, which yeah. are the main reservoirs that serve the, the um, Colorado River system and yeah. Arizona exactly. Um, and and things are really really bad. I I. I oh. want to be no. I, I hate hearing be, that. I'm glad no. to be honest. Yeah, I want to be honest about that. the The Colorado River system might literally crash, meaning like we might hit Deadpool in Lakes Powell and Mead. It is it is that bad. Wow. Um, well, the pictures are scary as it the is. The pictures are scary. Uh, yeah, they look terrible right now. If you go and just Google any picture of Lake Powell or Lake it's Mead, terrible. they're super low. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, it is really um, incumbent on the seven states and Mexico and the federal government uh-huh. to come up with a plan to significantly reduce the amount of water that we take off of that river system, basically immediately, to, to save it from crashing. So out of curiosity, because I remember this from when I heard you speak before, farmers use more water than anybody. And obviously they feed us. We need food, too. Love our food. Uh, but yeah, that's absolutely correct. So in the Colorado River system in particular, mm-hmm. um, it's estimated that farmers use something like 75 to 80% of, of the Colorado water. River water. Exactly. Okay. So it is the vast majority of the water use on the Colorado River system. That's why uh, in order to prevent the system from crashing, we're really going to need meaningful contributions from farmers. farmers. Yeah. And so obviously farmers are in a predicament too because they need water to grow Absolutely. food. And, it's, and it's it's their business. It's yeah. their livelihood. It's the livelihood of rural communities across the Colorado River system. It, I don't say it lightly. No. Um, it, it is a, it's a it's a difficult thing to ask. So would that mean essentially we'd end up having to relocate farmers out of the area unless there's another source for water for them? I, I, I don't know. Um, I think right now um, a lot of things are on the table. Gotcha. Uh, temporary fallowing, but but also permanent reductions in farmland. Absolutely. So yeah. I got to share with you a small story. <laughs> Yesterday I, re- I interviewed um, somebody I went to high school with. Okay. Because she grows food as a hobby and she has this cool little Instagram page. And then as I get her intake form that you did for me, it turns out she's a freaking scientist and works on water um, reclamation in California in oh, the Silicon so Valley. Great. Yeah. And she and my producer was when we were waiting for you to get here, he was mentioning, he's like, you know, I just heard it. And I'm like, yeah, you heard it on my show yesterday. <laughs> That's um, right. She was talking about rever- basically reverse canals, bringing in ocean water and desalinization of the mm-hmm. ocean water mm-hmm. as a viable solution, hopefully in our lifetime. I, yeah. I guess it's really expensive right yeah. now to go through that process. Yeah. But you just reminded me when you said 
said, a lot of things are on the table. Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of smart people all over this world trying to solve this issue of water. Oh, absolutely. And, and um, yeah, there's a lot of people working really hard on Colorado River issues in particular. But, but they're going to be tough to overcome. I, at the end of the day, we don't have time. You know, for things like desal or things yeah. like, you know, other things that, have, that people have proposed. So we really just need to look at, at pretty significant cuts. And again, the majority of those just mathematically are going to have to come from, from agriculture because they're the ones using the most of it. That's where all the water is right now. And you, it's just math, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yes. Okay. So I would love to understand. But wait, let me oh, let me circle more. back to no, no, no. I want to circle back to the good news. Oh, yes, I promise that's right. You, you promised me good news. I promise you the bad news and then yes. the good news. So all right, we okay, want good news. Yes, let's let's hear the good news. <laughs> the good news is that um, water managers here in Arizona are really smart. Yeah, they are very innovative, and Arizona has known for literally decades, that for going on fifty years now, that this was coming, that this day might come, mm-hmm. and so water managers, for the most part, have prepared accordingly. We have uh, stored a vast amount of Colorado River water underground in our local aquifers so that when this day came. Would, would come, uh-huh. right, we would actually be prepared and have these alternative supplies to draw from. So, yeah, it, uh, so it's really bad on the Colorado River right now, uh-huh. but we knew this day was going to come. Uh, water managers have made, you know, very solid plans. I remember seeing the pictures of these huge, almost look like lakes that you guys have created, but they're not yeah. really lakes. They're it, not really lakes. They're they're recharge facilities. They look like it though. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You you literally you take water, Colorado mm-hmm. River water, reclaimed water, other water supplies, you put them in these what look like open fields. Uh huh. But really, what's happening is that water is percolating down into the aquifer. And we've stored up a tremendous amount of this water, and that can be an alternative supply for us. For a short term, probably solve? Or do you think it? Yeah. Is, I, it, is there enough there that could last us a while? A while. Really? A while. So here's so the. So that is good news. It is good Thank news. Thank you, Catherine. Okay. Yes. She tells the truth over here. She tells us the I bad, try. the good, and the ugly. I try. But you did give us good news. I try. The other thing to keep in mind. Uh huh is that um, central Arizona is blessed to have very large and productive groundwater aquifers. That means that there is a lot of native groundwater in this area. Uh We need to use it carefully. We need to use it in a sustainable manner so that future generations have access to it as well. You mean maybe not let all of our agriculture dive into it? I didn't say that. Okay. Want to be careful about that. But it is there, and it's a great resource for us. So be very careful about who's using it. Well... Yes, but even if we run into troubles on the Colorado River or other surface water systems, we do have this groundwater that can be a backup for us. So that is that this picture? Did I find one of no. the pictures? Darn it. This, th- okay. No, th- but that was a good try. No, this, <laughs> this is actually a picture of the Salt and Verde River watersheds. Oh, okay. Um, so those of your viewers who are from Arizona will, re- will recognize this. Of course, you see you know, Sedona and mm-hmm. Williams and Flagstaff. Payson. Payson, Pine Top, yeah. Cholo. So um, in the light blue, you kind of see the watershed for the Verde River system, and uh-huh. you see it flowing down into the Phoenix area. Yeah. And in yellow, you see the the watershed for the Salt River system. Going into the Phoenix area. So exactly. do we get to use this water in Phoenix then? We do. We do. Okay. So um, the the Valley of the Sun actually has been an agricultural center for, for like thousands of years. Like, well, yeah, the Indians started it. Exactly. Yeah. The Native uh, Americans. Uh, absolutely. Native Americans first you yeah. know, settled here. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I remember tie, learning that very real thousands of years yes. ago, right? All their canals we reused. A- exactly. We right. are basically using the same canal system mm-hmm. or, you know, similar canal system th- that, that they dug that they out started. that. Yes, exactly. So the waters flow, um, the Salt and Verde, they, they flow into the Valley of the Sun. They meet here. Mm-hmm. We have this great canal system. It is now operated by the Salt River Project. So that's the CAP, right? No, that oh. is not. No, no, no. We'll get to the CAP. Okay. This is the Salt River Project SRP. Okay. okay. SRP, which also which provides water and power, right? Yeah. So some people get their power bills mm-hmm. from SRP. That, that uh, much of that is hydro off yeah. of the dams. So that makes sense. It does. So they're providing both water and power. Um, so yeah, we have we are very blessed here in mm-hmm. the Valley of the Sun to have access to the Salt and Verde River system. It is. A, um, a a relatively sustainable system. Uh-huh. It is very well managed. Um, I love that. Yeah, yeah. It, There's a lot of good that you brought up when I watched you before, good. and I thought you were the best one to talk to because you know when it comes <laughs> to so water, nice. you want you want to hear good. You don't want to hear all negative. Like it's just yeah. clickbait to get you to watch the news story. I, I yeah. want to know what's really going on. So we have this as a source for water in the in the Phoenix area. It is. And then, um, let me scroll down a little bit. Here's groundwater in rural Arizona. Yeah. What do the blue and the red dots mean? Okay, red is bad okay. on this map, and, and blue is good. Okay. And, and there's a couple of, of interesting things. So so the basically, this map is, is telling you where groundwater levels have increased, uh-huh. which is blue, good, okay. and where groundwater levels have decreased, which is red and bad. And um, what you'll see is a lot of blue in kind of the Phoenix area and yeah. then down through Pinal County and down into Tucson, right? Mm-hmm. That's where we have been taking that our Colorado River water and recharging it really? into, yes. into the groundwater. Into the groundwater, yes. Oh, exactly. that is super cool. So when you guys, okay, so that was why I was getting my glasses on earlier. My friend Jonas had a question for you. Okay. And it, he asked, how much water that gets dumped gets reabsorbed to replenish water tables. Hundreds of years, is that fact or fiction? And Interesting. So I think he's kind of talking about something along this lines. He is, so yeah, and let me answer that as best I can. Um, most of the, the groundwater in mm-hmm. Arizona is what we call fossil groundwater, and okay. that means it's really old, right? Okay. It was deposited in our aquifers a very, like thousands Millions of years, of years ago. ago Millions, thousands, yeah. doesn't matter. So Dinosaurs long ago, were running around kind of thing. Right, exactly. So long ago that to us, it, you know, it's just very long. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know. And, uh, but yeah, so most of it is fossil groundwater, mm-hmm. and what that means is that it's not really naturally replenished at a very significant rate every year. Okay. And what that means is if you pump out more than is naturally replenished, you're going to deplete those aquifers. So, um, so, um, and you see that in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard about like the Ogallala Aquifer or the problems in Central, the Central Valley of California. No. You know, those are areas where um, people are pumping out groundwater at unsustainable levels and it's causing, you know, Mm. this decline, not only in the aquifer itself, but land subsidence. Right, exactly. So um, it does take a long time for water naturally to get down into these aquifers. But like I said, we do recharge these groundwater basins uh, artificially. And, and that doesn't seem like it takes hundreds of years because obviously no, we, no. we're doing it in the last 50 really well. Right, right. We try to be more uh, precise about it and more efficient about it. But I want to be clear about one thing. Um, that recharge of aquifers is really only taking place in central Arizona, mm. not so much in rural Arizona. Gotcha. And and that that's a problem. 
Um, Can they start doing that in rural areas? So I I know different communities are looking at that. Mm -hmm. Um, They're looking at different solutions like potentially creating um, what they call rain swales, where it's like a way of kind of slowing down storm water. Uh It, you know, it would still flow when it rains, but it might slow it down a little bit. Right. It soaks into the ground and into the aquifer a little more efficiently. Um, Some communities are looking at the potential of recharging some of their reclaimed water. Um, But there are some additional challenges in rural Arizona, depending on whether communities have access to surface water. Right. Um, or if they really have to rely solely on groundwater. Groundwater. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which is, yeah, a topic of discussion. So before I get there, and we're going to take a commercial break, but before we do that, this is what I really loved about the presentation that I listened to you originally. This is was my big takeaway. Arizona has a strong legacy of wise water management. I was super impressed. Like, you really tooted the horn of all the cool things we do in Arizona to get ahead of this problem. To prepare. You know, I often tell people, I know it sounds strange, but the advantage that we have of being here in the desert when Mm -hmm. it comes to water is that you know the value of water. Yeah. Right? And so you know to plan and prepare. Right. You know what you have to do to ensure a safe, clean, reliable supply for generations to come. We have this foundation of incredible water management that literally literally goes back thousands of years. We're almost better off because we're in a desert. I feel like. Yeah. No, I really do. I, agree. I I feel like we just have this mentality where we don't we don't waste a drop if we can avoid it. Ab- absolutely. And and we really just look to the future in terms of how yeah. we can secure those supplies and make sure that we are providing for the future. Well, for residential real estate, there's something called the 100-year um, water 100-year assured water supply. Yes. Correct. And that's the thing that's kind of scary about residential real estate in Arizona is when you keep hearing in the headlines that we have yeah. a water crisis what does that equate to? Because people are still moving here to the tick of, I think, 250 families a day still yeah. are moving to our state, which in the course of a year means like 100,000 people. Yeah. So they just keep coming in droves yeah. and we don't have, you know, it feels like we don't have enough water for ourselves, let alone all these people coming mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Well, that's why we have really great water managers, right? And right. They, they are super innovative. So um, we do still have the flows of the Colorado River. And even if um, we face crisis on the Colorado River, uh-huh. you know, that will not be a permanent condition, right? Yeah. So so it's there Whipping will be many years of pain. There will yeah. be many years of pain. I don't, I don't want to understate that. No. But it is a supply that will be there for us um, into the future. We have the flows of the salt and the verde and mm-hmm. other surface water mm-hmm. um, in Arizona. And then, like I said, we have very plentiful groundwater basins and we have reclaimed water. But the other thing that we have is uh, conservation and demand management. So the more that people conserve and and use water wisely today, you potentially free up um, water supplies for times of drought, for times of surface water shortage, and for future growth as well. There's a lot of tools in the toolbox. I love it. Is what I would say. A lot of tools in the toolbox. Well, that's what made me feel so good about watching your last presentation. Facing a hotter and drier future, we must work harder to secure water resiliency for all communities. And there are serious challenges that remain, Mm -hmm. but it sounds like we kind of have our act together and we're, I I don't want to say we're so well prepared we don't have concern. The concern is always going to be there because it's water. Right. We don't want to bring down hubris. Yes. But, but, But. no, absolutely. We we have a, a solid foundation. We need to do more. For sure. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to do more with water conservation. 
Uh, we need to push harder with uh, beneficial use of reclaimed water, you know, putting that to yes. additional use. Um, there's more that we need to do to plan for the future. But um, but but like I said, we, there's a lot of tools available to us as well. And it sounds we're kind of ahead of the game of many other states because of the fact that we are a desert. So we've been practicing right. this for a long right. time. Right. Other right. other parts of the country are surprised all of a sudden. Hey, it's hot and dry. Missouri. Here, right. Mean, like, for example, that was just in the news. <laughs> there's the article right there on the screens that you know, we just saw hit last night that Mississippi's Governor Tate Reeves um, like the funds for the wait funds to aid, aid Jackson's water system held up, and you know you, you just don't even realize in other places in the country yeah they're not even taken off of our Colorado River they have right. their own they've river. got their own yeah and and even um, places that you would just never think of like England and, and places you think oh, it was just so wet the and raining things are changing and mm -hmm. um, if you if you live in a desert you understand the value of water you know how to prepare yeah. you know how to survive in a hot dry environment I do think that is an advantage for us I think forward. so too yeah we're gonna be right back we're taking a quick commercial break I have to pick her brain some more because she's so smart nah. and hang on if you're looking for a mortgage you need a personalized plan not a click button get mortgage option my team and I have saved families thousands by proactively planning their home purchase or a refinance. Buying a home is a huge decision and it deserves a strategic approach. My team and I provide a comprehensive mortgage plan, including a complete credit analysis outlining the steps needed to improve your credit score and help you qualify for the best rates and terms in the market. Visit us at tkteam.us today. We'll ensure you get the best guidance so you can make the best decisions. The TK Team, moving you forward. Hi, I'm Rebecca Hidalgo Rains with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, and I've been selling homes here in the Valley for over a quarter of a century. I want to say that experience truly matters, so when you're looking for a realtor to help you either buy or sell your biggest purchase of your life, I hope you'll consider using me. My experience doesn't matter near as much as my clients, so I do dare you to Google me, and I promise you'll see nothing but fantastic reviews, because I really do truly care to help navigate you and your family to the very best experience you'll ever have with buying a home. Have you been thinking about buying a new house or refinancing your existing mortgage? Interest rates are still around historically low levels. Why pay a higher rate when you don't have to? Call Joe Smith, me, at Epic Mortgage LLC, 602-741-4121 for a free mortgage quote or pre-qualification. Epic Mortgage LLC is a locally owned, independent mortgage brokerage that provides low-cost options for its customers. Independently owned means low overhead, so you get the best rates, fees, and service. Keep more of your money. Brokers are better. Realtor recommended for over 20 years. Contact me, Joe Smith, at Epic Mortgage today, 602-741-4121. Whether purchasing a home or refinancing, we know you have choices when it comes to choosing a title company. Navi Title Agency is the leading source for all title, escrow, and marketing needs. With access to the largest title insurance underwriter, Navi Title facilitates successful closings and protects clients from fraud. Creating solutions that save time and money for everyone, ask your realtor or loan officer today about using Navi Title on your next real estate transaction. Navi Title Agency is locally owned and operated in the state of Arizona. 
Okay, we're back from commercial break, and Catherine wants to make sure we talk about population growth before I get into what I want to talk about, but that's probably really important to talk about. So let's talk about the population growth. Yeah, because you you know, you know mentioned that more and more people keep moving here, and that's absolutely true. Um, Arizona is a great place to live, as you yeah. know, right? Lots Jobs, of great reasons. opportunity. Our hair looks so climate, good here. <laughs> hair, I, don't, I never know what to do with my hair when I'm in a humid place. Right, Huge advantages. Um, but yeah, and people have this idea that um, more people means more water use. Okay, and that is not necessarily. You had the case. a cool chart about that. I remember seeing that. Yeah, that is not necessarily the case. And actually, if you if you look at the state of Arizona uh-huh. as a whole, uh-huh. and the amount of water that we used in ni- in the 1950s, uh-huh. it is basically the exact same amount of water that we use today. Yes. Right. So we're using the same amount of water now as we did back in the 1950s. Yet our population has grown by six million people. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. And and the reason that that's the case is that low-flow um, toilets and things well, like that? Oh, that's not where I was going to go, but we can go there too. Okay. Actually, it's because um, growing a subdivision, growing a city, actually takes less water than growing crops in the hot desert. Totally makes sense. Right. The so, entire city of Chandler used to be farmland. Exactly. And all the farmers are gone and nothing but subdivisions now. Exactly. So as you convert wow. agricultural lands mm-hmm. into subdivisions and cities, um, there's actually a, a net water savings. So it takes on the order of six acre feet per acre to grow cotton or alfalfa. It takes on the order of one, one and a half acre feet per acre to grow a subdivision, right? Wow. So there's this um, water savings Huge that's difference. built in. So, so, but this is key. So when we replace uh, agricultural lands with urban lands, uh-huh. there, there is this net water savings. But some of the growth that, that occurs is not on agricultural lands. It, you know, it's on yeah. native desert lands. So, sure. you know, there's a bit of a, a balance there. there, a little give and take there. But people have this idea that water use really has to do with the population. And, and it really, it, it, it doesn't. What it really has to do with is land use. Mm-hmm. And so looking to the future, we have to think really carefully about our land use patterns in the desert Southwest. So odds are we may be limiting, I'm just speculating, Yeah, limiting people who use a lot of water like our farmers, possibly, unless they have other sources. I mean, because it just doesn't make sense to continue to allow them to use as much water as they're using if it, at the end of the day, means we don't have any. Well, it is their property right. Okay. So what Ooh, you're... That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about yeah. water rights in Arizona because yeah. I don't understand that and I doubt anybody watching really understands that besides you. <laughs> uh, well, that's that, that's nice. I'm sure there are others who understand it, but it, it, it is complicated. Um, so yeah, you know, here in, in the West, water rights are, are usually based on first in time, first in right. And what that means is dibs. Like if you got here first and use the water first, you have the highest priority right to it. Of course, the Native American communities were here first. Yeah. So they tend to have the highest priority rights on the system. Good for them. Good for them. Fortunately, um, many uh, Native American communities have been um, you know, willing to partner with the cities and actually lease out some of their water supplies and, sense. and, and um, yeah. enter into exchanges. Mm-hmm. Gila River Indian community in particular, Salt River Pima Maricopa Indian community. They do that. They've been doing that. Great partners, San Carlos Apache tribe, others. Um, and so that's really helpful. But um, yeah, farmers actually, mm-hmm. they have rights to that water. Um, and like I said, they are they are growing crops that are that are that valuable. It's we right. Yeah. It's their livelihood. It's you know the heart of rural communities. 
So I want to be careful when we talk about sure. that. I want to be respectful because, um, you know. That, they have rights to it, too. They have rights to it, too. But to the extent we can encourage growth mm-hmm. that replaces agricultural lands, right? Yeah. There is a net water savings. And to the extent we can discourage growth that occurs on just, you know, More native desert, right? Mm-hmm. Then that's an advantage for us. And to the extent that we can encourage really dense multifamily type developments, those also tend to be much, much more water efficient than... Well, that's all the builders have been building. Well, right. You know, that's, I mean, land is expensive. So I've watched in my career over the last 30 years, our lot sizes get smaller, smaller, smaller. Where today, our average lot size is probably under 5,000 square feet that most builders are building on. Exactly. And so if you actually look at the land use Mm -hmm. or the water use patterns of the, you know, the old subdivisions versus today's, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, the subdivisions today are so much more water efficient. I'm sure they are. Oh, like, yeah. I grew up, but I went to Dobson High School. My dad lived in Dobson. I was Ranch. a McClintock girl. Okay, you, so we're yeah rivals <laughs> a little bit right there because all you, but you had Tempe Lakes, so that's kind that's of where true, I was going. That's true. So, yeah. So I had Dobson at Dobson. Um, we had all these little lakes built into all of, and I, I know there were reclaimed water. That's probably where most of that. But I look back, and those subdivisions were very green. Yes. And the they lots were, were big, yeah, like, were. you know, and way different than what you see today. Today we have zeroscaping, we have yes. much smarter builds and much denser. So and we, I could totally understand, I can just picturing our neighborhoods we grew up in versus oh, yeah. what they're building today. I, absolutely, my family was the, the the odd family that actually did have uh, desert and, and gravel, but you're right, everyone else yeah. around us had grass. But I want to mention real quickly how much that's changed. Yeah. Right? It, so um, Real there, grass there doesn't are, exist hardly at all anymore. There are still people with sure. grass in their yards. But statistically, like back in the 70s, yeah. um, when I grew up, uh, 80% of single-family homes mm-hmm. had majority turf and lush landscaping. Yeah. Today in the city of Phoenix, that number is 9%. Which is how it should be. It's how it should be, but that's a wholesale cultural change. Uh, it is. Right? It is. In how we use water. Well, gosh. Okay, so uh, I won't yeah. even date us and go to what year we graduated <laughs> high school, but Thank you. when I went to Dobson, like this town was a third of the size that it is yeah. today. A third. I mean, it, the growth we have endured is exponential, but I love that you said, you know, farmers have rights to the water too. Mm-hmm. And because it kind of goes in line with people coming into town and the next topic of discussion. Yes. Uh, that I already I already prepped you on. So you, if there are good articles out there, if you go to Catherine's LinkedIn, if you want to see articles that are good about water, they're on her <laughs> page. They aren't clickbait. Um, you know, just what what the plans are and educational articles, and I love that. Now this here is a picture. Uh, Catherine used to go to Pine a lot. I mm-hmm. have a place up there myself. And I literally pulled this piece of paper out of that to show to Catherine this yes. morning because I knew we were going to be talking about water this week. Yeah. And when I read this little sheet, there's like a green category, a blue category, a yellow category, and a red category. In Pine, according to all the signs up there, we're in the blue category, the number two category. My point in pulling this out and bringing this up is because I need Catherine's help with advice. But I read this, when I pulled it out, I literally peeled in the parking lot, pulled this out, and I read it and it brought me back to, because before I lived here in Arizona, I lived in California. Uh-huh. 
And I have memories as a little girl in the 70s of not being able to flush the toilet if it was brown mm-hmm. or blue, yellow versus yellow. brown. Right. Yes. yes, yes. Grandpa couldn't wash his car. We weren't yeah. watering our lawns. Like everything that's on this sheet, mm-hmm. we did mm-hmm. growing up and nobody thought twice of it. Yeah. So I think my point is, is here we're crying about being out of water supposedly or running out of water where this town up in Arizona is really doesn't want people coming into the town mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I read this and I'm like, well, instead of putting this out, why not just say everybody recommends, why don't we do everything in this last column? Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't understand. And I know you haven't had a chance to even read it, but it just talks about, you know, using gray water and, you know, just yeah, using water wisely. Just wisely. Right. You right. Know, why aren't we just using water wisely all the time anyways? Well, so I guess I would argue that we we have made a lot of that progress. So, like I said, you know, we've converted much of the the grass and turf. It's true. Okay. You know, into desert xeriscaping, um, indoor because of the water smart program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back in the day, yes. you could buy toilets that would flush. You know, what four mm-hmm. gallons or something. For every I don't time. Even remember, it was right? Stupid. I would literally, you know, flush. Yeah. <laughs> right. Nowadays, I don't know what they are, like half a gallon. Yeah, it's, uh, it's you know, a minimal. Minimal amount, very tankless much Tankless water heaters. Tankless water heaters, yeah, your dishwasher, your washing machine. So a lot of that is really built into our homes and our appliances today. But um, the other thing that I think is really important to look at, actually, and, and I'm, I'm sorry to go there, but I'm an economist. So yes! I'm going there. Let's go there. I'm going there. Let's go there. Is water rates. Yes. So as the cost of water increases, yes. people, of course, respond to that price signal and they tend to use less. And actually, the, the city of Phoenix is, is a really great example of that. The city of Phoenix has a, a very interesting rate structure. I love it. I'm going to dork out here for a no, second. No, I want to hear it. Okay. I, I, I'm a dork too, so I'm okay, right there with you, awesome. sister. <laughs> so um, they charge more for water in the summer. Smart. And it is. And, and what that means is that, you know, it, it's not illegal to have a lawn in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. But if you have a lawn, it needs a hell of a lot of water in the summer. Yeah. And if you charge more for water in the summer, then people get this huge bill. And they probably and won't they go, reseed it next Wait year. Wait a minute, do I do I really like grass that, that much? much? Yeah. And the answer for the most part is no. And so you you see these wholesale changes. But the the water rate issue is important too because it encourages conservation, hugely important. But also it provides revenue for the local utility to reinvest in aging infrastructure to, for example, fix leaky pipes. Yes. Which is where a lot of this water is lost. Yeah. You're not being a good steward of your water if, if, you're, if let, you're just letting, letting your pipes leak, out. leak exactly. out. Well, and that's what leads us to this discussion. Yeah. And really my ulterior motives of having you was my problem I'm having in Pine. My husband and I invested a ton of money into this beautiful land. Look at that pretty picture. Colin, it's gorgeous. Zoom in here, Colin. You need to show how pretty this is. This is so pretty. No wonder everybody wants to go up to Pine and Strawberry, Arizona. It's gorgeous. And one day I'll probably build a house there. I have these beautiful elk hanging out on our land all the time. And one of them is actually blocking the for sale sign on the spec I need to build. Um, But the problem we're having is we don't have water right now. Mm -hmm. Because right after I closed escrow, the water district up there decided to go on moratorium for meters. Yeah. And so this is why I was questioning, like, well, what are what are our water rights? What can mm-hmm. we do about this mm-hmm. predicament? So this is a map of the land, and that green X is where this next picture, um, one of my neighbors mm-hmm. is building a lake. Okay. 
a lake on their land because they're I think they're so upset with the town. Ah. There's just a lot of town drama going on. Okay. You know, like people not being included in water district meetings and things okay. of that nature. Yeah. What I've heard is 60% of the pipes mm-hmm. are leaking. Okay. Well, that wouldn't surprise me. And yeah. because the infrastructure is so old up there, and mm-hmm. until they fix their pipes, they weren't going to release more meters. Interesting. That's what I was told. I've been on the waiting list for over a year now. Mm-hmm. So this particular people um, are trying to dig a well. Okay. And it may be a pill for me. Yeah. I want to dig a well. I'm waiting to see if they hit water. And that's where Christy, my other friend, had questions for you. She asked, what is the best way to find cracks when property is on a large rock? Because supposedly this property sits on a big, large rock. Yeah. So uh, unfortunately, you're going to have to ask a geohydrologist that. Like, I do not know the best way to drill a well. Geohydrologist. Uh, Yes. Do you know any good ones? Uh, Several. Okay. I'm going to ask you off camera who those are. Okay. Um, Because I probably need a couple recommendations. (laughs) And then the question that I had heard was massive water table aquifer. Um, oh, so, and, and this is one thing out of curiosity, and I know you don't know a ton about the specific little town and with respect mm-hmm. to the water current situation, but one of our friends, you know, there's the drama in the town saying that, you know, some people are in disagreement as to whether or not there really is water underground. Okay. And we've heard that there's a huge aquifer up there. Okay. Underneath all this rock. And so if my neighbor up here decides to put a lake up there and taps into that aquifer and I'm down the hill from him and I drill, yeah. there's a good chance he may be using up all my water. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it really illustrates a problem that we have throughout much of rural Arizona. And that is that um, groundwater for the most part is not regulated in mm-hmm. rural Arizona. And that means that it's an open access resource that pretty much anyone can drill a well. If they can afford to. If they can afford to. Yeah pretty much anywhere they want mm-hmm. and they uh you know and that's have only, the right and that's only in rural the only in well yes in in rural arizona there are a couple of exceptions to that let so me get talk there. about that let me get let me get okay. there but that means that they that literally someone can put a well next to your next to your well and pump the water out from under from, from under, right underneath you exactly that that it that is a and problem there's no recourse on that and there's really no recourse on that and so that is why for example you see in southeastern Arizona there was a citizens drive to get enough signatures together to petition to create groundwater regulation in that area because they were so concerned about like these to like maybe limit the number of permits allowed it actually that or? has to do more with industrial use of of water okay. there were some uh in particular um, very large dairies moving into the area they need water too they need water too and i i like dairy products i like cows I, I, all of that it's all good it's all <laughs> ice good. cream's really yummy all, all good but yeah in much of rural arizona mm-hmm. that you know we're what we're facing is really the tragedy of the commons right where yeah. If people can go out and just use this resource, there's no recourse for um, basically draining the resource for everyone else. And that doesn't seem fair. It doesn't not, seem fair. Not when we're in the situation that we're in. Not when we're in the situation we're in. So so that is really difficult. And so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That is a very 
common problem so, in rural Arizona. Out of curiosity, I had heard that SRP, and this might just be a nasty rumor because SRP obviously has water interests themselves. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, that they are in a movement to prohibit people from drilling their own wells moving forward. That was something I had heard, and I don't know if that's valid or not. I haven't heard that. <clears throat> okay. And, and, and I, would, I would be surprised. Okay. Um, but what uh, SRP is probably trying to do is whatever it can to help foster sustainable management uh-huh. of the Salt and Verde River systems, because it's those river systems that feed the canals and right. the water system that we have down here in Phoenix. So to have a you know a sustainable resilient supply you want to make sure that what's happening up on your watershed is also sustainable and resilient so i would imagine that that's what they have some vested interests there of course well we all do but you know we we all everyone here in the valley of the sun depends on very much on these watersheds and and how they're managed okay so i'm just going back to that one picture yes i still think we should all be doing everything here in the red column a hundred percent i don't know why we don't i don't know what's in the red column not having read read it it yet But I agree. Well, we should. We should be turning off your water when you're brushing your teeth. Absolutely. When you're washing your hands. It's like the little simple things that each of us can do because we know I want to make sure my grandbabies one day have water. 100%. And their babies do. And if we keep abusing our system. Right. There's a good chance, unless some really smart scientist like the girl I interviewed yesterday figures out how to desalinate our oceans in our lifetime. We, yeah. we could be in a problem. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. It is incumbent on all of us. We all have a huge responsibility uh, to use water as wisely as possible, to, to really use it only when we need it, and, and only for the highest and best purposes, right? Yeah, absolutely. So everybody listening today, turn off your faucet when you're brushing your teeth, when you're washing your hands. Let's, let's use our water wisely so our grandbabies will have some. What do you think? Yes. Yes. Okay. A resounding yes from all of us. Thank you guys for watching. If you have questions for uh, Catherine, can they hunt you down at ASU like Absolutely. I did? Absolutely. Super easy to find me. It was super easy to find her. She's awesome. Thank you so much oh, for no, joining us today. A true pleasure. Thank, thank you for you. having me. What a great show. And thank you for joining us on our mutual journey to becoming unharmable and successful in all of our experiences while we're here in this school of life. We hope you enjoyed it. If you watched us on YouTube, please like and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Likewise, if you're catching us on one of our podcast platforms, be sure to follow us so you never miss out on another one of our shows again. Remember that if you ever have a question about real estate or any of the other topics we cover, check us out on the web, www.gratefulheart.tv, for all of our links to connect with us. Otherwise, we'll have another show for you again right here next Monday at 11 a.m. Arizona time. I'm on vacation every single day Cause I love my occupation Hey, hey, hey I'm on vacation every single day Every, every single day